Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. On this special episode of Fostering Solutions, where I'm doing this Maximizing with Michelle series, uh, Jessica Hudson is the guest today. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much. Great seeing you. So tell the audience about yourself. Who is Jessica Hudson? What you know, something outside of the typical resume stuff. Just you know, who is Jessica? It's funny because I think to know who I am now, you have to understand where I came from. I mm-hmm. loved that part in the book, getting to understand where Michelle came from. Yep, so, yep. Um, for me, I, I tell people all the time, I was just a little girl raised up a good old West Virginia holler mm-hmm. um, who had a, a lot of goals and, and dreams. Um, but, you know, I was raised by parents who um, my dad was a hardworking union man and my mother gave up a career to uh, be attentive to um, the needs of my sister and I. She was that you know, at school every day, popping the popcorn, baking the cupcakes, tutoring, Mm -hmm. taking, you know, all of us and other students as well to uh, sporting events and things like that. So, you know, and I I grew up in a family where if we saw a disabled motorist, now, of course, this was before we had cell phones, so my dad would stop and help everyone. Um, My mother was always the one you know, making us aware of needs in the community, um, taking us to the store to pick out the canned goods when, you know, our church was doing a, a food mm-hmm. drive or another organization was doing a canned food drive. And so, you know, I think um, growing up in that type of family where we were just so aware of, you know, the needs in our community and, really grew up understanding what it was like to help people. I think that's really a big part of who I am today. But um, also from the book that I found interesting, I too had a childhood um, or part of my upbringing that centered around science. And I started a science fair project in the ninth grade, Uh um, attending DuPont High School. Of course, we were very close to DuPont DuPont plant. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was a a special project because there was a team of us three, and they actually led us into the plant to do our research. Um, And so it was there that I learned um, what, you know, being a part of a supportive community was about Mm -hmm. having partners. Um, And then that science fair project took me to four international level science fair competitions, a second place and third place award in the world. Oh my gosh. That's Um, like hardcore. It's it spent a lot of time in a lab um, all through high school Um, an award from two awards from the CIA and an award from every branch of the military. And it was there that I learned Jessica, the scientist in the military could gain rank really quickly. Uh And uh so um, it was discussed potentially West Point and coming from a family of veterans that was really of interest to me until my senior year in high school and I found out I was a type 1 juvenile diabetic and therefore 
unable to, you know, uh, serve in the military. Who knows where you would have been? Who knows? But, but, but Mm -hmm. it was that that then, you know, led me to so much more than I think the military could have ever provided Mm -hmm. uh, me. And, and so, um, you know, still have a love of science. Um, Through my career, I became a, uh, through my now career, I became a, uh, or previous career, became a certified NASA educator. So I'm still a, oh, a stargazer. Um, okay. Still love to still, still do that. Still a science nerd. Still and a science nerd. I always nerd. say I'm a nerd on undercover. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think all of those things really shaped me. It's hard for people to understand this now. I wasn't a talker, very introverted, until suddenly I'm standing as a high school sophomore in front of PhD-level scientists trying to prove my worth and <laughs> tell them about my research. And there's something about that that pulls you out of your shell a bit. So, um, you know, I'm so grateful for those things in my life that really made me who I am today. Absolutely, absolutely. And today you are the executive director of Dress for Success of the River River Cities. Cities. Yes. So how did you talk about your journey to this position in in the nonprofit sector? So, of course, I mentioned West Point was out of the picture. So suddenly as a high school senior with my whole life figured out, I (laughs) thought, well, (laughs) what am I supposed to do now? So I did the only thing I'd really ever known, and that was... um, I decided to be a teacher. I'd always had a okay. lot of, always had a lot My of mom respect. mom was a teacher. Yeah, got family yeah. members who were teachers, yeah. Just a lot of respect for teachers. And in fact, one of my senior superlatives was teacher's pet because mm-hmm. I was always bringing them gifts, not because I needed to, you know, to get a, a better grade, but because I respected what they did. Right. And I thought, well, what better way to, um, what better subject to teach but science? Mm-hmm. And so you know, uh, majored in uh, biology and then in um, general science education, went on to do my student teaching, had the worst experience of my life and thought the formal classroom is not for me. Mm. And so then it's, you know, you're stuck with this feeling of what do I do? And so it was as simple as responding to an ad in a paper that led me to my first nonprofit job with Girl Scouts of Black Diamond Council. Um, I was uh, working with a grant-funded program doing Girl Scouting in all of the low-income housing communities. Mm -hmm. Um, And then very quickly, I think they scooped me up into a full-time position um, and over several years became the director of program services for a council-serving you know, 50,000 girls a year. Wow, wow. And, um, and I just loved it. But through that position, I was still able to, um, you know, I, I wrote all of our science curriculum. We did STEAM. Oh my gosh, this shows how old I am. STEAM wasn't even a thing then. I don't think we were still very much STEM. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but got the opportunity to become a certified NASA ed- educator. Okay. That was through that okay. position. And then realized I was interested in resource development. And so left after about five years and went to Habitat for Humanity. Mm-hmm. And 
again was afforded an incredible opportunity. Um, Habitat International received funding from the uh, Lilly uh, Pharmaceuticals um, Foundation, Eli Lilly. Uh Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, I was a part of the inaugural class of um, Habitat for Humanity fundraising um, mm-hmm. folks who got to receive my um, cer- certification in fundraising management through IUPUI. And so, again, another opportunity IUP, to be go, able- go ahead and spell that out. Say that what that acronym is for for the listeners. <laughs> it's um, I know it's pretty big. Indiana University, yeah. Purdue University, Indianapolis. There's that's kind of where the that's where and the School that's, of that's Philanthropy. That's the focus uh-huh. of that. That's yes. The, the School of Philanthropy yes. in the U.S. Absolutely. And it's incredible. Um, mm-hmm. That was an incredible opportunity. We traveled around the country actually taking classes, not actually on the Indianapolis campus. Okay. Um, and so that gave me another opportunity just to get to see different parts of the country and, and understand how fundraising is a little different there. Um, and uh, so then armed with what was, you know, program experience and then resource development experience Mm -hmm. and then between the two of those volunteer management and recruitment you know really thought I was um I was destined for an executive director position or you know that was very much you were being groomed it sounds like very much very much so very much so and so it you know it felt like um that was the next step for me because I could in that position really get to do a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. um I loved and and had learned through the years um so um and then you know one day um received a a call from um maybe listeners will know but maybe they're not from this area and won't know but our good friend amanda Barron, who Mm -hmm. is um a news anchor and she actually sat on the board of dress for success river cities at the time and she said we have a job for you and i said i have a job and i love that job and she said i know but we need you (laughs) so um went through the interview process and um learned after taking the job just why they needed me but um you know that 20 i think i told you before we started here 22 years now in the nonprofit sector and um wouldn't trade that for the world awesome awesome um quite a journey quite a journey (laughs) so this podcast is about maximizing impact what does that mean to you that term maximizing impact what does that mean to you um, so, you know, our, um, the very wise, um, Theodore Roosevelt says, um, doing what you can with what you have where you are. Mm-hmm. And so I think it starts with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it starts with identifying a need and initially doing what you can. Um, but then it takes, I think, being able to go a step further and and be a visionary and and seeing what can be um taking risks you know i think it's like entrepreneurial it is entrepreneurial isn't i always say it's like people don't realize it's it's and i it's social entrepreneurship what's funny because everything about my nonprofit journey i feel like every great thing i learned was 
when I was with the Girl Scouts. And every time I say something, well, when I was with the Girl Scouts, and so somebody will say, well, why did you ever leave that organization? Mm-hmm. Well, life is about risks. I could have stayed there and been very comfortable, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have gotten to be a part of the impact I've been a part of mm-hmm. or continue to learn the things I've continued to learn. And so it is very much about taking risks. And then, you know, I think figuring out how to take the, um, you know, the resources you have in terms of people and being able to bring out the full potential in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that goes for staff and, and board of directors. So taking who you have around your table or on your bus and being able to bring out the best in them to achieve the best results. Because um, you can't do it alone, can you? <laughs> I think, you know, folks need to make sure that they get that. You can, you are not an island and you need help. Very much. Be be sure to, you know, get the help that you need. Surround yourself with others. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned through my career. If Mm -hmm. I could pinpoint the the number one thing I've learned, that's it. Because I think we tend to, when we get, um, you know, it's very much a calling what we do. Mm -hmm. But when you get called into you know, this, this work, you very much have an attitude of, I can do it all. And you mm-hmm. learn very quickly that you can't. You can't. And, and there may be a period where you're doing, wearing a lot of hats, right. but that is not a sustainable type of situation. Well, no, need, it is need, not. It is you not. Need help. You but need then help. also, you know, realizing how you can, um, what resources you need to do the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. and then how you need to um, grow those resources. You know, what investments you need to make to be able to not only impact, have the most impact, but be able to sustain that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, really for me in a nutshell, that's what maximizing impact is, right. you know, is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you you operate the Dress for Success um, program here in it's now in Charleston used it to is. be mm-hmm. in Huntington mm-hmm. it's and that's a part of a national international international mm-hmm. all righty so what about the I know it has many talk about that program some and um, talk about your impact because I know it has it's not just clothes it's not, not just clothes it is not. Um, Talk about what, you know, what the elements of that program. Mm -hmm. So Dress for Success as an organization started a little over 25 years ago um, in the basement of a church, Mm -hmm. much like I think a lot of organizations start. That was the organization (laughs) I worked for, yes. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, that's just, you know, that's that's where a lot of them are born. Mm -hmm. And it was a young lady who was left an inheritance and and thought, you know, there's a need in my community. and this might be interesting for the audience to hear, but to this day, only 3% of the financial resources of charitable giving goes into organizations that impact women and girls. Interesting. And so there, there aren't a lot of organizations out there that do what we do. And, and she, she saw that and she said, you know, what can I do to help women have the tools and resources they need to not only feel empowered, but to achieve success. Um, and, you know, that really starts with being able to, to have a have a job, find mm-hmm, a job mm-hmm. and, and maintain that employment. And so 
with the help of some nuns in her community, she started the very first Dress for Success. And since that time, we've grown to about 150 um, locations in almost 30 countries around the world. Um, Here in West Virginia, we were started by a group of students at Marshall University in a women's studies classroom who said, we need something like Dress for Success in our community. Mm -hmm. And so thank goodness for um, Dr. Sherry Smith, their professor, who said, you're right. And she actually rewrote the next semester's syllabus entirely around starting Dress for Success River Cities. And so, um, you know, I often think about those students and if they're even aware, you know, do they follow along? Are they even aware of the impact that how many years ago did you say that was 16 16 we celebrated 16 years yeah 16 years last september so this Mm -hmm. year will be 17 and um you know since that time we've impacted 5,000 women through 13 counties in west virginia ohio and kentucky through our ohio or i'm sorry through our huntington location Mm -hmm. and then uh just recently in march as you mentioned we opened a location in charleston serving an additional three counties um in west virginia but you know as you mentioned, dress for success, as the name implies, we're about clothing. Mm-hmm. In fact, our Huntington location looks like a store, a mm-hmm. boutique, and we have women stop all the time who want to shop. Uh-huh. Um, but the organization is all about three key things, clothing, confidence, and community. Mm-hmm. Providing the three C's, the yes. three C's providing women um, with barriers to employment, and that can be Helping to remove those barriers. Helping to remove those Mm -hmm. barriers. But but providing women with barriers to employment with the clothing resources they need. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as I just need a pair of black pants. And sometimes it's I'm coming from a shelter and I have nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we work with them to um, really learn what needs they have. Do they have a resume? How confident do they feel in an interview? Mm-hmm. Can we do a mock interview with them to get them more comfortable? Um, and then we, you know, we're a workforce development organization. So we provide educational opportunities, workshops. We teach financial literacy. It's great that you're earning a paycheck now, but what do you do with that? How do you mm-hmm. save? What does that look like? Um, and so, um, and then the community aspect of it, we bring women in who, I think a lot of our clients think that success is just something you're born with. You know, you're just, you're either going to be successful or you're not. And they don't realize that that's something that most most people aren't just born into. They have to work for that. And so... And oftentimes it takes someone else helping to stir mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. Those, those gifts within them, right? And so we bring women in who want to, by volunteering and working with these women, help them understand their own story to success mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. be able to share that with them. Um, and uh, so introducing them to a community that allows them opportunities to network, that helps them build their own personal you know, mm-hmm, network mm-hmm. and encourages and, and supports them. Um, and so it's through those three C's that we see, um, you know, this incredible, um, you know, these incredible outcomes and the impact that we're having. That's wonderful. 
Um, you've already mentioned my book, Maximizing Impact, <laughs> Success Strategies for Dynamic Nonprofits. Um, what chapters of that book really struck a nerve with you? It's funny because I, I was really thankful for that book. You know, after having a few years in the sector, a lot of it was a reminder mm-hmm. of, you know, things I've learned and known. And then there were some new things. But not to take away from what I feel is the meat and potatoes. You know, if you were going to start a nonprofit from the ground up, these are the things you should know. But what really resonated most with me were the chapters on self-care and gratitude. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I just came back from a week-long vacation, the first I've taken in many years. Mm -hmm. Now, self-care, you know, that's I'm really good about getting massages and mm-hmm, my nails mm-hmm. done and doing my skincare routine and trying to eat healthy and, you know, hiking and exercising and those sort of things. What I'm not good with is being able to take a break. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so ingrained. And, you know, I read the chapter about, um, you know, a lot of things that happened in your life because you did that too. You're so dedicated. Mm-hmm. You know, your office feels like a, or your organization feels like home. It's a part of you. And it's hard to separate. Yes. And it's hard to separate yourself from that. And so, um, but, you know, I'm really fortunate to, um, because I too have seen relationships end because Mm -hmm. I've always made work more important Mm -hmm. um, somehow. And so um, I'm so fortunate to to have such an incredible partner now and he said we are taking a vacation that's right and we did and i didn't this is the first time i think in my professional life that i went on vacation and didn't even as much as take a laptop oh wow i didn't even i didn't even wear my apple watch where i could see email come through (laughs) or anything Uh um and you know i came back and i realized The buildings were still standing. Life goes on. And clients were still being served. And the board was still, Mm -hmm. you know, they were Mm -hmm. still working. And my staff were thriving. And everything was great. And it almost hurt my feelings in a way. (laughs) But it shows that you're a great leader. Well, but what it does. If you can step away to, to take care of you and life goes on and the organization continues to thrive, that just shows your leadership. It's just a, it's. And, and so now I, you know, I look at things. And so reading that chapter in the book, I thought, you know what, it's true. It is so important because, mm-hmm. you know, we can't pour from an empty pitcher. Mm-hmm. We just can't do that. And mm-hmm. I was very much at that point. And then looking at, at gratitude, you know, we, I think it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and while you feel grateful for that, a lot of my gratitude centers around things at work and not necessarily things in my life and so a couple months ago I was gifted a gratitude journal Mm. and it was probably the best thing I've ever been given in my life and so it's a five-year journal and every day you write something you're grateful for and then the next year on that same you know on each day you write something and not only do you get to celebrate your gratitude for that you get to celebrate what you were grateful for on that day the year before Mm. and um you know so i think realizing that i'm grateful for so much more than just what you know what my work provides um, is an important reminder and i think 
Um, you know, that so those two chapters, even though the book was just <laughs> full of so much incredible information, but for me at this season in my life, I think that's what really resonated with me the most. That's good. That's good. So, you know, you said you're at a certain season, you've been in the nonprofit sector for, you know, over 20 years. What do you know now that you wish you knew in that first position? You know, it's, it's incredible. Um, I actually <laughs> have gotten to work with someone who's now an adult who was one of my Girl Scouts oh, in that wow. program, oh, wow. who's now a mother of five, oh, who's wow. now, you know, and I think, um, and, and she introduced me to her kids and she said, this was, well, let me think how she said it. Miss Jessica was a bomb Girl Scout leader. And I thought, <laughs> whoo, here I thought I was just a science nerd. I'm, I was, a, I'm, yeah. But no, I think just, um, you know, sometimes, and, and this goes back to not often, you know, taking a break and things like that. I mm-hmm. think we get so caught up in the, in the day-to-day that, you know, we don't think about the impact we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember so many people in my lifetime, my, my parents included at one point, who said, you know, why, why do you do that? And this was early on in my career, but why do you do this? You know, you could have had, my 17-year-old tells people, she could have worked at NASA. And I said, okay, look, just because I'm a NASA educator doesn't mean like I'm ready to build space shuttles or anything. But you know, I think that, um, you know, really understanding um, the the impact you have and that um, you can still have, a, you know, my parents always looked at what, oh, but you work so many hours and you, you know, you don't, you don't make much money. And, but for me, my, um, I can look back on 20 plus years of this and and still come in contact with somebody that I've worked with in the past. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to know that all of that hard work and dedication is going to come back to you in ways that you could never imagine. That's right. Um, from, from sources you could never yes, imagine. Yes, exactly. And so yeah. I think, you know, just knowing that, all of that hard work and those long hours and the, I can't do this another day. And, you know, being at Girl Scout camp in the middle of July and it's 98 degrees <laughs> and you have 400 girls trying to canoe and you're like, this is not, this is not what I, I can't do this anymore. You know, to look back over all these years and, and the impact and just know that I get up every day and that's, that's what I get to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. So very fulfilling, isn't it? Extremely, very extremely. Fulfilling. Yeah. So you you earlier this year added a new location to the um, to dress for success. So how's that going? Are there other growth opportunities that you're working on? Absolutely. So um, we were really fortunate a couple years ago. You know, I think. A lot of organizations or, you know, United Ways organizations within the community do needs assessments. And we were looking at the potential of expanding, of course, 
pre pre pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were really fortunate to work with a group that was really a collaboration between Marshall University, West Virginia University, and the state, um, and and primarily looking at ways to help women in the state move move forward. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they said was, you know, what resources are out there for women, particularly like what Dress for Success provides. Mm -hmm. And so it was through that group, they said, let's just take a poll across the state and find out what's out there. Well, right there was our needs assessment because we realized there's not a lot of support out there. There are a Mm -hmm. lot of clothing closets. There are a lot of, you know, programs that provide for, um, you know, clothing needs, but not many specifically um, that are geared toward the needs of women in the workforce, um, whether it be job interviews or, or helping them have what they need for, for an actual job for employment. Mm-hmm. And so it became very evident to us that um, if those resources were going to exist, that we were going to have to look at expanding. And so mm-hmm. that's when the Charleston location kind of hit the radar. I live in Charleston. I've commuted to Huntington for the last almost eight years. And so, mm-hmm. you know, opening a location in my backyard was just incredible. Um, but we have a lot of support in areas all over the state. And mm-hmm. so I think looking at what we can do, whether that's through brick and mortar um, locations, additional locations, whether that be through a mobile boutique concept, being able to take our program on the road. Hey, that's an idea. We've actually piloted something like that, that's but of course, idea. you know, I think with the given the um, the geographical nature of our mm-hmm, state, mm-hmm. sometimes that's a little bit more difficult. But we've also, and being a part of an international organization, opens you up to lots of programs and things that other affiliates have tried Mm -hmm. and some of our affiliates particularly during the pandemic did what they call pack and send program where they have volunteers that curate outfits Mm -hmm. and you know we would get a call from someone in martinsburg let's say and they would say we need you know to drive to martinsburg what does it take five five and a half hours for us Yeah, Yeah. and so you know to be able to put something in the in the mail and ship that to ship it to them that would have everything they would need for an interview or employment, I think is something that sounds like a great opportunity, a a fantastic opportunity. So we're really looking at how we can um, strengthen our impact and, um, you know, do it in a, do it in a a smart way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, expanding to Charleston is definitely a good start. So wonderful. Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who's thinking, about starting a nonprofit, whether it's similar to yours or just a community-based nonprofit, what advice would you give them? You you find when you've been in the sector a while, you get a lot of you get a lot of calls from people mm-hmm. that think, well, maybe this person knows what they're talking about, and I should reach out to them for advice. And so, I've gotten my fair share of those calls, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people, I think. And this is really how nonprofits are born. You see a need, you, but often, what I found is that a lot of those people don't assess what's already out there, mm-hmm. and they start an organization that there are already ten others 
that are providing the same services. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what that does then is make it more difficult for either that new organization to find funding or it pulls away from those organizations who are already doing that work mm-hmm. and doing it well. And so I think the biggest advice I would give is just see what's out there. See what's um, out, see, assess the needs. Mm-hmm. I and talk about that in the book. Then. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, assess the needs. And, and maybe if it's not starting your own organization, but you see a need and you see something that another organization, similar organization is providing, see how you can partner with that organization. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we don't always have to recreate the wheel and start from scratch. Sometimes it's just saying, hey, I see this need Mm -hmm. that's not being met. You know, how can we, how can, how can I help you with Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Could be supplementing their services, or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that would be the biggest thing: just assessing the needs, see what's out there, and then figuring out um, how to move forward. Whether that is on your own as a new organization, or how you could work with an existing organization to help mm-hmm. them expand their impact. Absolutely. Oftentimes, as we wind down our conversation, as you you often um, work with women who may be at a low point in their lives. So as you look to the future, what gives you hope for some of like the women you work with, hope for your, you know, the team that you work with at, um, at your organization? What you know, gives I, you hope? I think there's a, um, there's a bit of, um, excitement in the air. I think, um, uh, you know, we've had a lot of really influential women, throughout the world, in our own, you know, in our country, in our state, who have really, um, I think, opened the door for more opportunities for women. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, and unfortunately, the pandemic, I think, has created a lot of opportunities, job opportunities, Mm -hmm. things that... Where people can work anywhere People can work anywhere. here and work. You know, and that's, that's just incredible. So I think... You know, with what we do, helping women find, um, you know, create their own success story. Mm-hmm. You know, that little girl from Up a Holler who wondered what she'd be one day, and here I am. Right, you know, right. all these years later, I think being able to, um, you know, have a, a network of support of other women who can, you know, be their champion, who mm-hmm. can. Um, you know, be a part of their, we like to call our volunteers a success squad, you know, having these women who can be a part of their success squad and, and mentor them and help them and guide them. Um, And that doesn't just go for our clients. I think that's just women in general right now. There's Mm -hmm, really a mm -hmm. positivity around women supporting other women, women finding their place in a boardroom. Um, And so we're happy to kind of ride that wave um, as it is right now and, and, you know, provide those opportunities for, for women. Um, That's wonderful. And you partner with the women, I just thought of this, the Women's Leadership Summit. Mm -hmm. And we gave 130, I think, a lot of that, a lot of purses. Mm -hmm. So how did that work out? How did that? If you knew how many I, I sat in the floor, and because, of course, sometimes with um, our women in recovery, there are certain items that they can't 
have. Um, Mm. And so I was going through and kind of pulling out some of those items, you know, mouthwash and things like that. And um, I just sat on the floor and cried. I thought there was so much excitement about women who um, donated a purse at this conference. Mm -hmm. And even the women who showed up to the conference and didn't bring one saw how excited other women were to donate mm-hmm. and went out that evening and bought a purse <laughs> to, like, br- to, to donate. I need to be a part of yes. that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just so it's, but I cried because, and what we're talking about, we, there was a conference and everyone mm-hmm. was invited to bring a handbag that was filled with essentials that women like that you and I would have in our handbag. Mm-hmm. And just looking through those, um, looking through those handbags and seeing, you know, notes of support and women who put their business cards in it because they wanted our clients to be able to have someone to reach out to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there'd be a little snack in there. There would be a, a little journal. There would be a really cool ink pen or something that, but the amount of love that I felt through mm-hmm. those through those handbags, something as simple as just, you know, my goodness, how many do we have, you know, and being able to just say, okay, I'm going to donate this one. But the love that was poured into those um, was just a a little bit overwhelming. Um, But but it was incredible. Yeah, that was a great, great initiative. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. It's been a pleasure um, learning about you and your journey. And Thank you for being on my podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank and I wish you, you all the best Thank with you so Dress much. for Success. Thank that you. mobile unit just sounds really, really cool. That there, there are a couple of affiliates that do really neat ones. Yeah. They've transformed RVs. They've transformed all kinds of things into these, you know, mobile units. And it's just like a, it's just like a, 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 a fitting room that you can drive around, a boutique on wheels that you can I know, drive around. It's really, it's really, really cool. neat. Really neat. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.